0: Welcome to A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life, the accompanying podcast to Larry Rutman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. Hi there, I'm Jordan Rich with a pretty easy task and a fun one at that. I pose questions to Larry and with that razor sharp memory of his and a great talent for storytelling, well, you just have to settle back and enjoy the ride. We're talking further about uh, Brookline's uniqueness and the fact that Larry put it together in this great book, Voices of Brookline. And we've touched on a a few of the chapter headings. We don't have to necessarily get to every single one because there's business, there's town meeting and governance. By the way, there's a section on dogs, and Lois plays a part. Uh, Tell me about that. Lois is a dog whisperer. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: She actually um, is able to relate to animals in a very unbelievable way. She thinks animals are nicer than people. She may
0: be right. <laughs> yeah,
1: and she thinks of, and dogs especially. Now, we've had a succession of dogs. Uh, the last one was called Puppy-Puppy. There's a picture of in this book of Puppy-Puppy. Mm-hmm. She was an amazing dog. In a standard poodle, we had her and then Molly just before Puppy-Puppy uh, was another standard poodle. Molly was very queenly, had long legs. Both of them had wonderful dispositions. I never heard an angry word or growl from either one of them, and and Lois taught me. She taught me a couple of things. She taught me about generosity, and she also taught me about animals. Not to say that I haven't taught her a few things in the course of our lifetime, Um, but um, I would say that um, dogs do hold a special place. I wrote a story about. Puppy-Puppy, not only her life in Boston, but on Cape Cod, her relationship to us, her relationship to other animals. I do think that uh, the relationship between people and animals, especially dogs that I know better about that, is really a wonderful relationship because if you love a dog, they'll love you.
0: Unconditionally.
1: Right. And that's a big thing. And um, so that – and Lois would – I mean, like when Puppy Puppy was sick, she broke three legs jumping off a high rock uh, in, in a playing with another dog, and um, she was a very uh, stoic dog. She must have been in great pain, but never complained. They operated on her over at the Angel Memorial. Lois slept with us. She told you oh, this wow. for six months downstairs, denying me, <laughs> <laughs> and and. Um, Puppy Puppy recovered completely. That was and that was due to Puppy Puppy and Lois together, because the relationship. She really can speak to an animal, and uh, I've seen this, um, where um, I call I've i wrote a story about her and Puppy Puppy, another one about her and Molly, and I in each of them I used the words, and I might have used it in these contents, the dog whisperer. Did I say that in that?
0: I believe you did. Yes. Yeah,
1: and and she, that's what she is—a dog whisperer.
0: What it, a great story!
1: When she talks into their ears, they know what the hell she's talking about. <laughs> I mean, like there's a squirrel. Now we—it's hard to have a dog because, you know, you got to take a dog out. You gotta, sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, I mean, and she's extremely, um, you know, uh, given to this. She got to the point where she couldn't really go out to dinner without thinking, "Is the dog okay? Is that?" And, you know have mm-hmm. to go home a little earlier than we thought we might have to go home so now she feeds some of the animals in the back and there's there's squirrels that come by now she personifies these squirrels there were the squirrels that run away mm-hmm. and there's the squirrel and I've seen this who sticks around and understands her you know you'll say she'll say to the squirrel I'm not gonna hurt you you know eat
0: dr Doolittle has nothing on her you know,
1: be, be comfortable and um so uh, – and the squirrel gets it. It's amazing. I watch this and I say, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're blessed with a very, very talented wife, Lois. In the book as well, since we're talking about uh, highlights of Brookline, um, and we – you and I, uh, and I thank you for this uh, – were able to interview a couple of people that are in the book, including Mike Wallace, the famous CBS News correspondent, 60 Minutes. And people, you know, probably have heard the story that he grew up in Brookline, went to Brookline High. I think Barbara Walters, too, right? Is that right? But you write about Mike Wallace, um, and tell me about your relationship with him in writing this chapter and what he was like.
1: Um, Yeah, I got in touch with him, and he said he would do an interview. He came on Martin Luther King Day to Brookline High, and he had a bad cold, but he spoke to the kids, and I was there. And um, as he was walking out, I said, hey, Mike, Larry Rundman, we were supposed to do an interview. Oh, yeah, I think I, I almost forgot, he said. And, uh, well, we'll do it. And um, this wasn't during the COVID days when you would duck a guy with a bad cold. <laughs> so we did it. And um, so uh, he became interested in what I was doing so that we had a relationship that carried on afterwards. And... Um, I, I think that uh, Mike Wallace was uh, an unusual guy with a lot of chutzpah who made a tremendous success He became one, yeah. of the, one of the top guys.
0: Oh, I, I talk about a nonagenarian. He was still active in his 90s and a uh, brilliant, brilliant journalist, but also a troubled man. And not now. We'll talk further about uh, ourselves and dealing with the challenges of life. But he he was one who had his ups and downs, particularly during the general Westmoreland trial and all that uh, and, and he had a hard edge to him and yet he loved being on the show with you and me talking about Brookline. He really had a warm spot for Brookline.
1: Well he did. I mean I asked him things like uh, what was your route to, uh, to the Brookline High School down Rosson Road and then down <laughs> you no know, he said I used to go down to Tappan Street and yeah. I'd go that way. Um, one time in Haiti before I interviewed him uh, Lois and I were staying at this place in uh, up above the the major city, po- uh, Port of France or whatever it is, in Port of Prince. Prince, yeah, yep. um, and Patientville, I guess it was up up mm-hmm. high. And when we went out into the market, I mean, we were, there was a, like a thousand black people, and we were the only white people. And um, and I, you know, I write about in my uh, in my memoir about all the strange and dangerous places that I've indiscriminately and uh, and uh, thoughtlessly, probably taken Lois, but we've survived anyway. And um, so Mike Wallace was staying at the same hotel. I didn't know, you know, I, I knew him by reputation, mm. but I didn't know him. So one day Lois said, I'm going to go up to the roof and take a little sun. Okay, fine. So um, I, I said, So I went up to the roof a little bit later, and there's Mike Wallace stretched out, you know, taking the sun. And there's Lois (laughs) looking attractive. And uh, so I said to myself, maybe it's a good idea to stick around.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, knowing about Lois, whom uh, I met and she's delightful. And, uh, wow, great stories, my good man, great stories. And and the best part of it is he never knocked on your door and said, Mike Wallace, 60 minutes, open up. (laughs) That's the best news of all, right?
1: Yeah, I mean— we all have skeletons in our closet i don't
0: know <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he was he was great on earth and i think the last interview he did when he was like 90 was Roger Clemens when clemens was uh, under all that uh, stuff about using drugs and so forth and he still you know that hard edge uh, still had hard.
0: his fastball
1: i mean i mean look i mean he had a lot of guts some um, to go over to uh, wherever it was Iran,
0: The Ayatollah. I remember that. The Ayatollah,
1: yeah. I, Ayatollah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, journalists, you know, I, I, journalists who do—as a matter of fact, they just had the—Ken Burns just did this program on Hemingway, and Hemingway's third wife was Martha Gellhorn, and Gellhorn was one of the most famous war correspondents of the 20th century, and there was a little jealousy between them because Hemingway— Mm. Was on and off a war correspondent, and um, she was very brave. As a matter of fact, her you know, there's talk that Hemingway was anti-Semitic. How anti-Semitic he was, how strong that feeling was, I don't know. But the, something ticked off in my head, and I looked it up last night. So Gelhorn had a, her her father was Jewish. they the name probably was, you know something uh, Gershon or something like that. Right, right. And he was a gynecologist of all things. And uh, what happened, and she was very nice looking. On the Ken Burns' show, they talked about some of his wives being so beautiful. I didn't think they were that beautiful. But Gellhorn was was really uh, one of the, she's credited with being a very, not only brave, but talented uh, war correspondent uh, in the early part of the 20th century um, for the, Spanish Civil War, and the Second World War. And um, her uncle or cousin, I remember from my law school days, Gelhorn was a very famous professor of law at um, Columbia Law School. So that, um, I don't know, did you see any of the...
0: No, I haven't, but I'm am a I'm a very big hmm. Hemingway fan in terms of his works and so forth and a fascinating character. But you started to talk a little bit about the courage of journalists. I think that's where we were going briefly. And, yeah, and, I think
1: it takes a lot of courage to be a journalist.
0: Yeah, uh, especially in the in the trying times that Mike Wallace did it uh, overseas, particularly with some nefarious types.
1: I mean, you know, did, did we've had a lot of trouble in this country politically lately. And I think that uh, I was glued to my television set many nights to find out what, I mean, something was happening every day Mm. uh, when Trump was president. And uh, I think that that the fourth estate, as they're called, is very important to the preservation of democracy, which I never thought was going to be an issue, but I think it is now an issue. And democracy is not a popular form of government. I mean, the Greeks had it for a couple of hundred years, and we've had it for 200 and 50 years. But most most governments, if they're not authoritarian, they have a central control whether, I mean, uh, it's not democracy in the sense that we have it. And people, you have to wonder whether people like being told what to do as opposed to figuring out from day to day what they're going to do.
0: This has been a life lived backwards, one man's life the accompanying podcast to Larry Ruttman's memoir, A Life Lived Backwards, an existential triad of friendship, inquisitiveness, and maturation. You can subscribe and download this podcast, available on all podcast platforms. For information on Larry, his books, lectures, and much more, visit the website larryrutman.com. Also check out the extensive Larry Rutman page on Wikipedia. This is Jordan Rich inviting you to join us again next time as Larry shares more stories about friendship inquisitiveness, and maturation on A Life Lived Backwards, One Man's Life.